Right. Hey, everybody, how are you? It's an awesome song, and it? it's like one of those songs where you just kind of have to put one foot forward and, you know, be like this, you know. Hey, um, we're wrapping up today's series, and uh, not today's series, this series that we've been in, we're wrapping up today, and it's been called Behind Closed Doors, and we've been asking a lot, a lot of hard questions. We've been knocking on a lot of doors because that's what Jesus told us to do. He said, if you've got questions, just ask, and I'll answer them. And so we've been asking some really hard questions, and we started this thing off back here at door number one where we kind of knocked on God's doors and, and said, what do you have to say about sex and marriage and intimacy and then the next week we knocked on the second door and said but what happens when that gets kind of blown up when that gets kind of messed up and then Jim talked about this one a few weeks ago this closet door and said what happens when you're attracted to the same sex what about homosexuality God what do you have to say about it pushing aside what everybody else has said you have to say about it what do you really have to say about it and then last week we looked at this motel door and said is it even possible for door number one to stand up when somebody walks through door number four and has an affair on somebody inside the context of marriage. And uh, it's been just such a lighthearted series, hasn't it? You know, and today it doesn't get any easier. Uh, We wrap it up and we're going to talk about door number five, which is probably the biggest obstacle to door number one becoming door number six is this one. It's called divorce and uh, it's not an easy topic. And so what we're going to do is we're going to Knock on God's door one more time and we're going to say, what happens, God? What do you have to say when life in door number one becomes a living hell? What happens, God, when when somebody walks into that motel door? What happens when things get broken? What happens when one person in door number one says, I don't want to be there anymore? What does God have to say about this thing called divorce? Is the biblical mandate simply just, well, tough, stick it out? Or is there more at play here? I want to be really, really clear about a few things up front. The first thing I want to be really clear about is where I'm coming from in regards to this thing called divorce. I want to be clear. I have never been divorced. I cannot speak into what the pain feels like, looks like when two who have become one become two again. I have not experienced that firsthand. But my parents are divorced. And I've got all the baggage that comes along with that. I... I know firsthand what it feels like to be raised by a single parent. I know what it feels like to go through the remarriage of another parent. I know what it feels like to go through a really brutal custody battle. And I've wrestled with all the questions that a kid wrestles with when they grow up with divorced parents. And the pain and the baggage of all that is still with me almost 28 years later. And i got to be really honest with you, I didn't believe that for a long time. For a long time, I believed that my parents' divorce didn't affect me. I was probably about 23 years old when I was on vacation walking on a beach and finally it hit me. Scott, you have been deeply affected and wounded by your parents' divorce. And it's just true. I've watched as very close friends have gotten divorced. I've watched as their entire lives have been turned upside down and their whole world has been turned into a heap. I've worked with hundreds upon hundreds of students whose parents were getting ready to get divorced, going through divorce, or had been divorced. I got a phone call this week from, one, from somebody talking about one of my old students, talking about some really poor decisions he's making. And I promise you that a lot of the poor decisions he's currently making are a reaction to his recent parents' divorce. I promise you. And so that's where I'm coming from in regards to my own story, how divorce has played into it. But I also want to be clear about something else today. I want to be clear about what I'm not trying to do today. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm not trying to force anybody to agree with me. I'm not even trying to convince or force anybody to agree with God. 
I'm just going to do the best I can to point to God and his heart in regards to people and divorce. And whatever happens from there is up to you and God. And I know everyone in here brings different specific circumstances to the table in regards to divorce. And so for me to be able to speak directly into your circumstances, to be able to speak directly into how the Bible and God's word applies into your circumstances is not possible today unless God decides to speak to you through what his word has to say today. Again, that's between the two of you. In a very short amount of time, I'm going to try to give a broad stroke picture of what God has to say about divorce. And I've got to be really honest with you. I've never stressed over a sermon more than this one. I've never written and rewritten a sermon more than I've written and rewritten this one. I've never put more hours into a sermon than this one. And so for me to be able to boil this down to 30 so minutes, it's going to be an act of God. So, here we go. Let's start with this question. We're going to ask a series of questions today. The first question may strike you as kind of odd, but here it is. How does God feel about divorce? How's God feel about it? Have you ever thought about that? You may be going, that's a dumb place to start, Scott. Maybe you should ask something more objective, like what's God say about it? Or, or what's his rules about it? Or what does he command about it? No, I think it's important to understand that anything God would say about divorce, any rule he would give about divorce, any command he would give about divorce, would come first from the way he feels about divorce. Because our God is a God of emotion, just like we're people of emotion. That's where our emotions come from, is our emotional God. So how... Does God feel about divorce? Well, it doesn't take some grand expository journey to figure this one out. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 puts a real simple phrase out there for us. It's simply this. God hates divorce. God hates it. And the Hebrew word for hate here is the equal opposite of love. So as passionately, as strongly, as intensely as God loves anything, us... He hates divorce in an equally opposite fashion. Why? I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Does that mean that God hates divorced people because they've done something that he hates? No. You got to hear me clearly on this one. In fact, I would say it's precisely because of God's love for us that he hates divorce so much. God's hate for divorce is born out of his intense love for his people because God knows better than anyone else that divorce hurts his people. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in the Bible. You don't have to believe in any of the stuff we're saying around here to know that that's true. We know that experientially, don't we? Divorce hurts people. And consequently, a lot of us hate divorce too, don't we? I do. Hate it. By a show of hands, how many of us in this room have had divorce touch our life in a significant way? Either a friend, family member, parents, or you yourself been divorced? Gosh, I guess we should pick a more relevant topic today. No. We all have been touched by this. I mean, if, you, if you've gotten to this point in your life, whatever this point may be, two years old or 200 years old, and divorce has not touched your life, you should say thanks. You are the exception to the rule. I mean, divorce rates have been hanging out around 50% for a long time. Second and third marriages, some are reporting, are divorcing upwards of 75% of the time. We know divorce has huge consequences. We know divorce hurts. We know that divorce has a legacy, unfortunately. And this is the one that I hate. Statistically speaking, I'm more likely to get divorced simply because my parents got divorced. 
I just don't want to fall into that legacy. I don't want that to happen. And here's the part I find strange. We all agree, divorce hurts, causes great pain. God and us start from much the same place in regards to our feelings about divorce. We hate it. Yet we live in a culture. We live in a world. We live in an operating system, as Jim said last week. We live in a world, a culture that views divorce much differently than what we do and what God does. And Jim said it great last week in reference to 1 John 2.15. What we constantly have to do, if we're going to try to follow after Jesus, we have to line up the world's operating system versus God's operating system and choose which one's best. I think that's what we have to do in regards to divorce. Because I would say the world's operating system says this, that divorce is a good option. Not just an option, a good one. You get tired of them, divorce them. You grow apart, divorce them. Things get tough, divorce them. And celebrities, I mean, they get divorced every 10 seconds. And the sad part is we watch it as entertainment, right? Brad and Jen, Nick and Jessica, Brittany and K-Fed. I don't even have to say their last names and you know who I'm talking about. Sociologists used to talk about the seven-year itch. This is where they kind of noticed that somewhere around the seven-year mark, divorces seem to happen on a more rapid scale, more rapid pace. It's now five. When does it become three? Just go home tonight, go to Google and hit divorce. Google divorce and see what kind of phrases come up. I did this this week. It's amazing. Here's the key phrases I saw come up. I mean, page after page about divorce. Get divorced online. No fault divorce for $28.95. Convenient divorce. Easy divorce. Fill out the forms in the comfort of your home on your PC. If you were an alien visiting our earth and you Google divorce, you would be forced to conclude that marriage is no big deal to us, right? I mean, after all, it's a hundred times easier to break a marriage covenant than it is to break a lease on your apartment. It just is. Here's my question, though. World's operating system. All that it says about divorce and prescribes. Is any of that reality? Divorce ever easy? Comfortable, simple, convenient, cheap? Is it ever any of those adjectives? <laughs> no. And so if the culture is on that extreme, says divorce is a good option, does that mean that God's on the opposite extreme? Divorce is never an option? Is that where God's at? A lot of people would say yes. I wouldn't. I would disagree. And I think the Bible's actually really, really clear on this one. In fact, we don't have to get down to really big details in order to discover that that's just not true. Just a broad stroke examination of the Bible helps me figure this one out. Because three really, oh, I don't know, kind of big characters in the Bible talked a lot about divorce. The first one was this guy named Moses. Wrote the first five books of the Bible, talked about divorce, set up rules for how to divorce properly. And this guy named Jesus came along. Talked about divorce. Talked about Moses' rules about divorce. Then this guy named Paul came along. He talked about Moses and Jesus' thoughts on divorce. And he gave his thoughts on divorce. So, sorry I couldn't come up with somebody more significant to point to. But Moses, Jesus, and Paul will have to do. And here's the basic truth we've got to get our minds around tonight. If God has historically set up guidelines, laws, criteria, whatever you want to call it, for how to divorce properly then that must mean at, very, at the very least that God permits divorce in certain situations. Situations that fall in line with the guidelines, laws, criteria, whatever you want to call it, that he sets up. Let me put it to you another way. You don't have to believe, this, you don't have to believe in God to believe this next statement either. One does not regulate that which he forbids. 
One does not regulate that which he forbids. Let me play that out another way. I forbid my children to play in the street, right? It is a cut and dry rule. It's a hard and fast rule. It is black and white. I forbid Landry and Eli. You do not play in the street. You know what I don't do? I don't then turn around and go, oh, but if you do, make sure you only play on the right side of the street with a helmet on. I don't do that, all right? Because I forbid it. So God sets up regulations for divorce because it is an option that he will recognize if you choose to divorce. So, God views divorce as an option, but does God view divorce as a good option like our culture does? No, not even close. Because don't forget, God hates divorce. God never looks at divorce. There's never been a time God has looked at a divorce and gone, that's good. And here's why. Because it hurts his people. And because divorce is not always a sin, but it's always the result of sin. Does that make sense? Divorce is not always a sin, but it's always the result of sin. You can divorce someone in a way that's not sinful, but someone's sin led to the point where that was even appropriate. Meaning, if God's original intent was for two to become one, to be naked without shame, to be one flesh, to be intimate, to be known and fully known, to know and be fully known, the breaking of that, the kicking down of door number one, for any reason, it's never a good thing. Never. Hear me. It may be the wise thing. It may be the only option left. But it is never what God intended for marriage. Never. So here's my next question. So when is it? When is it permitted by God? When is it okay, so to speak? Well, Jesus talked about this on a couple of occasions. One time he was flat out asked, and the temptation is to just kind of dive right into these verses that we're about to look at and then dive back out without giving any explanation or context about these verses. And I think it's for that very reason so many people get sidetracked when they try to figure out what the Bible has to say about divorce. Before we ever look at what Jesus has to say about divorce, we have to understand three huge things. The first thing is this, we have to understand The culture of marriage, divorce, and remarriage in Jesus' day was really screwed up. I mean, incredibly messed up. It was not uncommon in Jesus' day for men to divorce their wives. Men could only divorce their wives for trivial reasons. And then just marry somebody else. There was a lot of formal, legal wife swapping going on, so to speak. It was not unusual, this will blow your mind, it was not unusual for a man in Jesus' day to have been married upwards of 20 times. In the course of his lifetime. And you thought our culture was messed up. The second thing is this. In Jesus' day, adultery was a capital offense. Adultery was punishable by death. So it wasn't like a couple could go, let's just separate for a while, see other people and see how it goes. You were both risking your lives if you did that. And so for a man to just kind of kick his wife out of the house would be putting her in a position where she could easily, if she tried to remarry, be perceived as an adulterer and be stoned to death. So a literal bill, a legal bill of divorce was in Jesus' day being used as a protective measure, specifically for women. And here's the third thing. The statements Jesus makes and the questions that are asked to Jesus are first and foremost relevant to the current laws of Jesus' day. That's how they're framed up. That's what Jesus is speaking to first. 
the laws of his day, which are foreign from the laws of our day. We have to understand that. But Jesus, his goal is to pull everybody's perspective away from the law of that day to something that transcended the law, something that existed way before the law. Okay? So we've got to have those three things in mind as we go to Matthew. We're going to stay in the book of Matthew today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go there. Go to chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 31 and 32, and then we're going to flip over a few more pages and look at something else. Here's Jesus teaching, and here's what he says. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now you need to know something. Jesus is referring back to Moses' day. When he says, you've heard it said, he's referring to the culture of marriage, the laws that were set up in Moses' day. And here's the other unbelievable thing. In Moses' day, marriage, the culture of marriage and remarriage, was even worse than in Jesus' day. In Moses' day, the men were simply just kicking their wives out of the house. They were just sending them out. Then they were bringing another woman into the house and marrying her. For any and every reason, they were doing this. And this was dangerous specifically for, again, specifically for the women. Because it only left the, the women with a few options. The first was not a good one. Prostitution. That's what many women were forced to turn to because their husbands kicked them out of the house. Prostitution. The second was go back to her father's house. But the chances of him still being alive and being willing to take her back, pretty slim. The third option was remarriage. But listen... The only way that remarriage could be a viable option for her after being kicked out of her husband's house was if she was legally divorced. Because if she wasn't legally divorced and she tried to marry another, guess what? That's adultery, so she's going to get stoned. She's going to get killed. So Moses looks into this situation and says, Listen, if if you're going to be... Be like this. If you're going to kick your wives out of the house, at least have the decency to afford them the opportunity for survival by giving them a bill, a certificate of divorce. Again, this was a protective measure for women. So Jesus comes along several hundred years later and speaks into the situation that's not that much different from the one that Moses was in and says, listen, unless your wife runs out on you, stays out on you and says, I'm not coming back. Don't divorce her. Don't release her. And definitely don't just throw her out because then you're forcing her to move under the chuppah, so to speak, if you were here a few weeks ago, under door number one with someone she was never meant to be there with. Another time, a few pages over in the book of Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is confronted by some religious people, as he often was. And here's what they have to say, starting in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They always did this. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Two huge phrases I think we have to pay attention to in there. The first one's this, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Remember, their first concern is simply this, how will I be judged? How's the law going to see me? Am I at risk here of getting in some trouble? What's the deal with the way the court will judge me? So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, here it is, any and every reason. See, there were two popular rabbis in Jesus' day that taught two totally different views on divorce. One was this guy named Shammai who said, no, 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 the only reason you can divorce your wife is if she commits adultery. The other guy was a guy named Hillel who said, oh, for any and every reason, she burns the toast. If you just don't like her anymore, you just want to trade her in for a newer and younger model, you can do that. 
Now, based on the question that's being asked by the Pharisees, which rabbi do you think that they're following? Hillel. I don't think there's... I don't, that's not a stretch to say that. It's not a stretch to say that most of the guys who are asking Jesus this question have probably already been divorced and remarried multiple times. So they have a vested interest in Jesus' answer. And I love the way Jesus responds, as I often do. Check out verse 4. Haven't you read <laughs> that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God's joined together, let man not separate. I love it. He says, haven't you read? Of course they've read it. It's their job to have read it. They've memorized it, in fact. Jesus was incredibly sarcastic. That's why I love Jesus, all right? And then he points back to door number one. In the beginning... This thing that transcends all these laws that you guys are bickering about. In the beginning, the way God set it up, the beautiful portrait he was trying to paint was simply called intimacy. Two, becoming one flesh, naked without shame. He's looking at these guys. He's going, you guys, you guys have forfeited a great way to live for a really miserable way to live that hurts people and even hurts yourself. And here's what I think the essence of what Jesus is trying to communicate to these guys throughout this exchange. He's looking at him. He's going basically like this. You guys are just looking for a way to legally commit adultery, aren't you? That's all you're looking for. You're looking for a way to legally commit adultery. He's speaking to these men, these specific men who came to him that day. Then he says this really interesting phrase we've all heard in weddings many, many times. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. This points to two truths. One's awesome, one's horrible first truth is this. When you get married, there is a supernatural God element right in the middle of that that helps you to stick and stay. That cleave, that two becoming one, that united one flesh. He honors it, acknowledges it, joins in it, takes part in it, recognizes it. That's awesome. But what's horrible is that we can rip it apart. We can. If we want a divorce... We can. Doesn't mean we should, just that we can. And God will recognize it in his eyes. Now check out this amazing response of the Pharisees to everything that Jesus has to say. Verse 7. Well, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Notice how Jesus responds to their word choice in verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you. He did not command you to divorce your wives. He permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because your hearts were so hard. But again, it was not this way from what? The beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Notice Jesus wants to point back to the two becoming one flesh. Put all the law stuff aside. Let's look at what God desires. Let's look at what God's intent was. Two becoming one. And he sets the bar higher than where they had set it. Don't get divorced for any and every reason. Don't get divorced just because you get dissatisfied with your spouse. Unless they've walked out on you and they're staying out on you and they're not coming back, you shouldn't consider it. Now notice how Jesus' disciples... Now we switch audiences. He's been talking to the Pharisees. The disciples are all kind of hanging out in the back, kind of listening to what Jesus has to say. And you've got to keep in mind something about Jesus' disciples. These guys are probably all teenagers... At best, they're young 20s, okay? And so this is what they say to Jesus in verse 10. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry, Jesus. 
it's just better. Let's just not get married because that's crazy. What you're saying is so countercultural. We can't even fathom why we would even get married if that's the case. Does that not just blow your mind? See, they had grown up under a system that was so screwed up. Their expectation was, I'll get divorced probably multiple times. Anybody else grow up with that expectation? I did. I did. I grew up believing, I'll probably get divorced a couple times. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, it doesn't have to be that way. I think it's important to understand that it's a specific cultural situation Jesus is responding to with his teachings on divorce. And he wants to point everyone back to God's original intent. In fact, I think Jesus had two huge things on his heart in regards to his teachings about divorce. The first thing is, I think Jesus, more than anything else, wanted to preserve God's intent for marriage. He wanted to preserve the chuppah. He wanted to preserve door number one. Second, though... This is key. This is huge. The second thing that I think was huge on Jesus' mind, on his heart, as he was teaching these men about divorce, I think he was teaching this. He was saying, listen, I'm all about protecting women. All about protecting women. And what was a male-dominated, chauvinistic culture where women were being relegated to horrible options like prostitution, adultery, and at the very least, humiliation, Jesus came along, looked these men straight in the eye and said, stop it. Said, stop it. No more. This was not the way God meant for it to be. Honor the wife of your youth. Stick with her. Stay with her. Serve her. Protect her. Love her. Be one with her. And in light of that heartbeat, in light of Jesus' heartbeat for the intent of marriage and the protection of women, what do you think? What do you think Jesus' stance on how to respond to an abusive situation would be? You see, I don't need a verse to point to in the Bible to prove that getting out of that situation is justified in God's eyes. All I have to do is pay attention to his character and his heart. You see, I think a lot of these things are the big things we can miss if we just kind of flip open the Bible, scan a few verses, and then throw them at somebody. Because here's the big question that's on a lot of our minds we're about to wrestle with. It's the million dollar one. It's still hanging out there. A lot of you probably already asked it in your mind as I've been talking. Books have been written on it. A lot smarter than people than me have argued about it. Here's the question. So, if Jesus says the only reason to get divorced is marital unfaithfulness, what defines marital unfaithfulness? Right? It's a million-dollar question. We really want to know clearly. We want a very clear definition. We can go down that road. It's the same phrase in the Bible that's translated many times as sexual immorality, which is the Greek word porneia, which is where we ultimately get pornography, which ultimately means any and all sexual sin. Porneia, this sexual immorality, is broader than just adultery. It includes adultery, but it's broader than that. See, you could make a case... A good one, based on the Bible even, and many people do, that marital unfaithfulness includes pornography use, emotional affairs like Jim talked about last week, abandonment, abuse, and again, a lot of people do. You could also make a case, a good one, based on the Bible even, that this only means physical sexual contact with someone who's not your spouse. (laughs) So where does that leave us? Well, I think marital unfaithfulness is this. Notice I said, I think. 
Marital unfaithfulness, as far as I can tell by reading the Bible, means a willful stepping out from under the chuppah, God's original intent for marriage, with the intent to dishonor your covenant, your promise, and your commitment to your spouse. That's marital unfaithfulness as far as I can tell in the Bible. And here's the other thing that's clear. It's really clear. If your goal today is to build a case against your spouse so that you can feel justified in divorcing them, you probably can. You probably can. I mean, based on Jesus' words alone, every person in this room who's married could actually do that. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 31, 32, in the same sermon, same breath, same section of Scripture, right before he teaches about divorce, here's what Jesus had to say in verse 27, 28, anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully has already committed adultery with her or him in his or her heart. Anyone pass that test? No. If you came here today wanting to build a case, you probably can. But here's what I'm saying. Maybe the question needs to change. Maybe the question needs to shift, as we like to say around here, from what God allows to what God desires. Maybe the question doesn't need to be, God, what do you allow? To God, what do you, what do you desire? I want to speak to a few different audiences today. If you're here today and you're married still, maybe just barely, my question today is this. What's your goal? Are you looking for a reason to get out, a reason to justify it? You, you'll probably find it. The world has plenty of options for you to do that with and promise to spend as little money and time and pain and effort as possible. And I'm not naive to the fact that there are probably a lot of people who are going to roll in here this weekend hoping that I'm going to give them permission to go get divorced. Just remember something. I am not the permission giver. The last thing I would want to see out of this weekend is for a whole bunch of people to go get divorced. So could I ask this question? Are you willing to even consider that God might have another option in front of you? Are you willing to consider that God might want you to pursue the restoration of your marriage? And if he's calling, to, calling you to that and only you and he can work that out, I want to point back to something Jim's been teaching us through this whole series is that anytime God calls you to do something, he'll supply you with the power to do it. It may be more difficult, more expensive, more time-consuming, maybe even more painful. But let me ask a question I asked four weeks ago. Isn't this worth fighting for? Isn't it worth fighting for? And I know, there's a whole bunch of you in here going, I am fighting, but she's not. He's not. That's horrible. It's hard. It's difficult. The truth is, as far as it depends on you, could it be true that God is calling you to fight for your marriage? And to pray that maybe, maybe we could both fight at the same time for this marriage. To continue to be one. I think it is worth fighting for. It's worth going to counseling for, getting in a small group for. The avoidance of having to sit on the edge of my kid's bed and looking at them and going, Mommy and Daddy aren't going to live together anymore. Avoiding that moment for me, I can only speak for me, is worth fighting for. Again, two systems in front of you. Play it out. 
Is what the world is selling you true even? Is divorce ever the easy way out? My mom says this. She says divorce created more problems in her life than it ever came close to solving. I've never met another divorced person who didn't say the same thing. The fallout of divorce is huge. So before you choose the divorce path, know this, that even if it's wise, even if it's biblically justified, even if everyone in your life says you should do it, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It'll be hard, it'll be painful, because it is a ripping apart. If you're here today and you're divorced and you're contemplating remarriage, the key phrase I would point you to, one of God's favorite phrases is simply this, we say it around here all the time, but from this point on, forgetting what's behind not being entangled by all that stuff from this point on, two things. One, are you becoming one with God? Are you pursuing being one with God, just you and God? Because if you're not, you're not in a place where you need to try to become one with another. Second is this, is it wise? Is it wise for you in light of your past, in light of your current circumstances, in light of the wounds and the pain that you may or may not have dealt with, from your past divorce, are you in a place right now where it would be wise for you to remarry? And I'd encourage you to run that through a few filters. People that love God, that are wise, that you trust. The Bible. Run those through those filters. Then finally run it through the filter of your own heart. But the first two come first. If you're already remarried, point you to the same phrase. From this point on, I talk to a lot of people who go, ah, my first marriage, I messed that all up. In fact, it wasn't even a, I didn't get divorced for the right reasons. Now I'm married to somebody else. Does that mean I'm supposed to be back here working? No, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. There's no such thing as married in God's eyes. You are married to the person you are married to. And God is calling you to honor and love and trust and respect. Keep your commitment and your promise and your covenant to the person you are married to from this point on. If you're here today and you're divorced, I wanted to speak to you last. I want you to hear my heart today. I'll be really honest with you. I'm really biased towards you because I'm my mother's son. I'm my father's son. I'm the son of... Parents who got divorced at the very time when the church at large was wrestling with questions like, what do we do with all these divorced people? What do we do with them? Do we let them like, be in Bible studies? Do we let them serve? Do we let them pass communion and offering? Do, do we take part in their marriages when they get remarried? You know, ridiculous, stupid questions like that. And I watched as my mom, as many have felt, got locked out. Consequently, so did I, of what looked like and felt like normal. That's why we put the chains on the door. Isn't that how it feels to be divorced or the child of someone who's divorced? Just locked out. You know, I heard Jim say one time, great quote. He said, God never locked a person into their past, and we must never be a church that does. Absolutely. She had two huge fears coming into the sermon. One was that somebody would walk out of here feeling like I gave them permission to get divorced. The other would be that I would hurt someone who is divorced. Because listen, folks, that's my mom. Last thing I want to do is to hurt anybody, especially my mom. 
And I know so many came in here today wondering, just sitting with arms crossed, wondering whether I was going to tell you that your divorce wasn't biblical and it was, and it was sinful and you should have done it. And again, all I wanted to do today was point to the heart of God and let you work out your stuff with him. But let's play it out for a second. Let's say your divorce was for all the wrong reasons. Let's say you, you admit it. You just go, you know what? I just got tired of them. We grew apart. I walked out. I cheated on them, whatever. You got divorced for all the wrong le- reasons. Let's just play that out for a second. Do you think God's holding that against you? Is he holding this one against you? All your sins are washed away except for this one. He slapped a big scarlet D on your chest and gone, sorry, can't take care of that one. My bad. Guess you'll just have to be locked out of normal life forever, abundant life forever, my grace forever. Is that what he's done? No, no, no. No matter what someone else has tried to tell you, what some church may have tried to label you as or lock you out of, what your people in your own family have told you you are because you're divorced, here's what matters. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to change some pronouns. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me, you, us, abundantly. Along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, we, us, are the worst. But for that very reason, I, you, we, were shown mercy so that in us, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience for us as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, from this point on, To the king, eternal, invisible, immortal, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, God hates divorce. And as someone who's had divorce touch his life, I'm really glad God hates divorce. Aren't you? That tells me a lot about the character of God. I would be forced to have, I would have a lot of trouble believing God cared about me if he didn't hate divorce. Because divorce hurts Me. Divorce hurts his people. It's a long journey between door number one and door number six. There are a lot of pitfalls and dangers, a lot of other doors you can walk through, a lot of places you can go, a lot of people you can see. And there's no question that it's difficult for door number one to, in reality, become door number six after a lifetime together. Is it God's desire for us to enter into door number one and exit door number six with the same person? Absolutely, without a doubt. Does that mean that if you're not currently with the person that you stepped into door number one with, that you're somehow disqualified from his love or his grace or his mercy or his kindness or the abundant life he has for you? Absolutely not. That's been the teaching this entire series. So from this point on, No matter where you are, married, divorced, in between, whatever. What's God calling you to? During this next song, we all get to take part in one of the coolest from this point on moments we can ever take part in. It's called communion. And between the now and the time that that piece of bread and that juice get get to you, you can have a from this point on moment. God, from this point on, could I be yours? Could you be mine? Could you take all my baggage, all this stuff... And just deal with it so that I can be yours. And he will say, absolutely. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, for me, this is always a from this point on moment. God, from this point on, I just want to honor your son who died on a cross to pay the price for my stuff, my sin. Let's pray. God.
we come before you and uh, we recognize that we've uh, gone through doors we shouldn't have gone through. People have taken us through doors we didn't want to go down. God, we struggle to not go down a door that you've asked us and told us not to, only because you have what's best in mind for us. God, this door called divorce has hurt so many of us. And that's why you hate it. So thanks, God, for being a God who hates divorce. Because that means you love us. God, I, I know that if you wanted us to carry around sin and condemnation and guilt, it would have been really easy for you to do that. All you'd had to do is just leave us alone, but you didn't. You sent your son Jesus to rescue us. So we come right now to, rem- to be reminded and to remember that and to say from this point on, I want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.